It's been um, one of those mornings so far, or one of those times together where it's evident that God's already been speaking very clearly, moving moving, uh, among us, and even from from the outset when we spent our time praying, uh, before our time together started, people were praying things, and I was just like, have you been reading my notes about what I'm going to bring? It just seems like what God's been stirring in people's hearts is really kind of continuing through the whole morning and uh, hearing what, what Lou was, was bringing about in terms of the presence of God being with us and, and the heaviness of that, not in the sense of it being a struggle or, or heaviness in terms of condemnation or oppression, but actually a heaviness in terms of that, that realisation that what we come to do when we come into the presence of God, it's no light thing because of what it cost Jesus and because of the gravity of that and the, the magnitude of that and of the awesomeness of God. And actually we can come into the presence of God in all of his glory and in all of his splendour and in all of his might, knowing that we are welcome. And it just has really felt, for, for me, I felt I could really connect with what Lou was, was saying in terms of that sense of the presence of God, but in a way that was uh, pointing us to God and pointing us to Jesus. And it has been really brilliant so far uh, and so um, really hoping that what God's put on my heart for us uh, today will, will really stir us and encourage us and, and build us up. Now a few weeks ago at the family meeting I was sharing some, a bit of an update, some news uh, about Gordon and Natalie and their family who as many of you will know, hopefully most of us will know, they're, they're moving from uh, Cornerstone Church in Rochester and then moving to Sittingbourne looking to, to build a church there, looking to establish uh, Hope Church Sittingbourne and today uh, maybe even as we are, we are I'm talking up here at the, um, at the moment Gordon is being taken out of eldership I'm not sure if there's a proper word for that um, um, but he's going to be, be taken out of eldership and then this is kind of their last morning uh, with Cornerstone what's going to be happening uh, maybe over the, the coming weeks we're going to be seeing a lot more of Gordon and Natalie and their family as they're going to be coming and spending some time with us, particularly over summer, uh, giving themselves an opportunity to, to, to rest, to kind of find their feet in Sittingbourne, for us to be able to serve them, to kind of look after them for a while. The way that Gordon's worded it is almost like for, for them here would be like a base camp before setting off up the mountain. So before they set off in this pioneering journey that they're on, it's an opportunity for them to, to connect with family, uh, to be able to be, to be built up. Um, but I know they're very much looking to bless us. As well, so please do be keeping an eye out for them. Be praying for them, uh, particularly today. You know, this is a big step for them. As big steps, maybe a bit of an understatement for them as a family. For Gordon to be stepping out of eldership, where he's been an elder for a, a number of years, into something that's going to be new. Uh, so please do be praying for them. Keep an eye out for them for when they arrive. Uh, I'm sure we will make them feel welcome. Um, but it's very exciting news. It's exciting for them, and I'm really excited for us as a church to be part of this journey that they're on as well, and for the part that we have to play and hasn't it been great to have Momo with us today even just in those three four minutes where he shared just to catch a snapshot of what God is doing in Sierra Leone uh, it, it was just absolutely wonderful to hear what God is doing I find it hugely inspiring to hear what God is what God is doing and encouraging and, and thinking do you know what if God is doing it uh, in nations around the world surely he can do it here uh, as well so it's been great to have uh, Momo here 
Uh, and as Mike has mentioned, actually we've got the, the nations represented here today. It's like people knew we were going to start talking about the church. And so everyone was here uh, on, to, to really just to demonstrate what the church is about. You see, whether we're talking about Sittingbourne or Sierra Leone or New Zealand or Germany or wherever else uh, we're represented from today, we're talking about family, aren't we? We're talking about the church. And so actually when we have people come in from other nations, uh, we, I don't know, it's just like there's this heart connection with what they're doing in their village or in their town or in their city or in their nation. And it's very timely that today we've been able to mention Gordon and Natalie and their family. It's timely that we've got Momo here with us sharing about what's going on in Freetown because today we start our new series, our new series which we call Church Matters. We were meant to start this series last week. Um, we were, we're going to be welcoming Martin Gibson from The Vine. He was going to be kicking this series off. Uh, and then, with what I think in the future will become to be known, Water Leak Gate 2018. Uh, unfortunately, the things that we had planned didn't quite work out the way that we'd intended to. Um, and so Martin was meant to be starting this new series. This, this is, maybe is going to get a bit confusing. This week, I was meant to finish off our Living Ready series on 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but what I'm going to do, in, instead of, because of being able to, to work everything and fit everything in before summer, I'm now going to work on the final sermon of our Living Ready series another time, and I'll record it, and I'll put it up so people can still listen to it. But I really want us to be able to press on into this new series of Church Matters. I sent an email out in the week really just trying to express something of where this series has come from. Something of what God has been doing on my heart. Because he's been speaking to me a lot about the church recently. And I've been finding myself getting very excited about the church. And I feel like he's, he's really been working in me, stirring my heart for the church. Stirring my heart for this church kind of breaking me in a number of ways, which has been a healthy thing. Increasing my love for this church. But not just this church, but for his church as well. And if you've read the email, hopefully the thing that's come through is a sense of, do you know what's particularly in the world? The world might have an opinion of what they think church is about. And they might think, why would, why would I even bother with church? What, what's it all about? Do I, would I even really need to go to church? You get people who think, actually, I believe in God and I feel I've got a relationship with Jesus, but I don't really, I don't find the church that accessible. I don't really feel like I need the church. Or it could be that we've got people who have been in church for a number of years that are maybe feeling disillusioned with church. And, and in, in all honesty and in reality, I'm sure many of us have gone through periods where we think, actually, why, what is church all about? And, and why, why might we bother with church? And they're all good questions to ask. They're good questions to ask so long as we explore what the answer is. And I've really felt, as I've been, been stirred, I've read that book which I mentioned by Sam Albury called Why Bother With Church, and it's really sought me to, to look to, to rediscover about who the church is, about the church in God's plan, uh, and, and want us to have the opportunity to journey together, really, over these next seven weeks to be able to, to discover that. And... and this, is, this isn't just about the people who are speaking saying this is what it's about and you know, this, this is who the church is and this is what it's about and this is what it means for us. It's actually, this is all of us journeying together as we discover more about the church and discover more about who God's called us to be. So we're going to be looking at the, the following topics. We're going to be looking at Jesus and his church being united in Christ. You need the church. 
The church is devoted. Your church needs you. We're going to do one on surviving church. And then the final one is about the church is sent. So today uh, we're going to be looking at that. Jesus, uh, the, the topic and the focus really is going to be Jesus and his church. I wasn't planning on speaking on this subject. This is what Martin had prepared for last week. He'd already set off. He was kind of ready to leave Maidstone when I got hold of him. And he had prepared a talk uh, for us and prepared something around this topic of Jesus and his church. But I tell you what, even though I wasn't expecting to speak on it, it's done me a lot of good over this past week as I've been preparing and thinking about what God would want to say to us. It's been a real joy. I found myself getting very excited about the church. Now, uh, last week was the Relational Mission Courage Conference up in London, Friends House in London. And it, the, the, um, the building there, Friends House, is located pretty much opposite Euston Station. Not too far from there is the British Museum. I've never been to the British Museum before, so in one of the lunch breaks I thought I'd go and have a look around just to see uh, what I might be able to discover. Realised very quickly that within the hour or two I had, I wasn't going to get to see very much. Uh, so I kind of just tried to find my, my way around. I didn't have any change on me, so I couldn't make a donation for a map. So I was just kind of just loose and breezy. Let's see where I end up. Let's see kind of what rooms and what I can find out. And if you go around the museum, what you'll find is, is, is it's kind of divided up and split up into different nations, cities, empires and times. Some exhibits were small. They were delicate. They were intricate. You had to, to get right up close to kind of see what was going on. There were other things there where, with the scale of them you had to take steps back to be able to take it all in. And really, it, I didn't have enough time to do it, but what you'd need to do if you had the time is to, to work your way around the whole place to really be able to get a much bigger picture of, of the history of really of many, many places throughout the world. And I, I felt it can be a bit like this as we can think about church sometimes. We can be focused on the time and the place that we're in. We can think about church in our context. We can think about what is God calling us to do in the local church. We can think through the details of what we do and why we do it. But we also need to take a step back from time to time. To look at the church within God's plans and God's purposes. Across nations. Across time and throughout history. And when we're speaking about Jesus and his church, this is exactly what I hope we do today, is to kind of take, let's take a step back and let's think about who is the church? Where does she fit in with God's plans and purposes? What is the, what is the relationship between Jesus and his church? And that's going to be our starting point for today. And I want to start at the very outset, not just of today, but the outset of this series with a quote from John Stott. He says this, he says, the church lies at the very centre of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose, conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is, to call out of the world a people for his own glory. That is God's heart. That is God's purpose. 
That is God's plan, that he would have a people for himself. For his purpose to build his church, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in future eternity. And this morning, what I want to do in the time we have is to, kind of, is to try and, and work our way through those, through those aspects of what John Stott was saying. We're going to be thinking about the church conceived in, in past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in future eternity. So let's start with being conceived in past eternity. Now, God makes promises. He's a promise-making God. And if he's a promise-making God, he's also a promise-keeping God. Amen? And in the book of Exodus, we see this in action. And in Exodus, the bit we're going to be reading from, we come to a point where we've got the nation of Israel, they're in slavery in Egypt. God has called this guy Moses uh, to, to lead his people out of slavery and into the promised land and into the promises that God has got for them. And in Exodus 6, God tells Moses to speak to the Israelites, to speak to, to the people there. Remember, they're in, they're in slavery at the minute. They're under the rule and the oppression of Egypt, under the oppression of Pharaoh. And he tells Moses to let Israel know of a promise that God is going to make with the people. And we read of this promise in Exodus 6 and verse 7. This is what God is saying to Israel. He says, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. It has always been God's plan to have a people for himself. Always been God's plan. The promise that he makes is to bring people into a personal relationship with him. That's what he's promising the Israelites at that time, he's saying, look, I'm inviting you into a personal relationship with me. You're going to be my people. And it's not just that it's going to be a collection of individuals who are somehow connected. No, it's not about in- individuals enjoying relationship with God, but uh, it's about a people. It's about a community. It's about a family that God wants to bring together. And it's always been God's plan to have people for himself. When we think about Adam and Eve, they were created in God's image to enjoy relationship with him. They knew him. They spent time with him. They communed with him. But then when, when sin comes in, when they uh, um, were, were, were not obedient to what God had commanded them, sin comes in. Now, the, the disobedience that they showed, really, it was an outworking of what was happening in their heart. This sense that actually they, they were interested in, in loving other things rather than just God. Or put in other things before God. So what was happening in their, in their hearts outworked itself in their behaviour. And from that point, the relationship that they had has become fractured and distorted. And where there was closeness and relationship, there's now separation. But God's heart for people has not changed. From eternity past, it was God's heart to have a people for himself. Throughout scripture, we see God's commitment to his promise. We see God's commitment to his people through every season that they went through. He was committed to them. And so it continues. When we speak about the church, we can speak about the church on a local level, like we are when we're gathered here today. If we were going to kind of put a bit of terminology on it, we'd, we'd call it the local church. We are the local church. But the church is not just local. The church is universal. All 
of the people of God from across the ages make up his church. This is the big picture view. And Faversham Community Church, it's an outpost of the universal church in Faversham in the 21st century. We have a part to play in that history of God's family, in that history of God's people. We have a part to play in that. And which is why we wanted to start this series on the, on the outset of thinking this is, yes, God wants to speak to us here in Faversham. God has plans and purposes for us here in Faversham. But we're part of something much bigger. The church is local, but the church is universal. It spans geography. It spans history. And God's purposes through the church, so if, if that's in terms of being conceived in past eternity, it's now being worked out in history. I want to approach this really from the angle of what is Jesus' commitment to his church? Because Jesus hasn't just set the church in motion and stepped back. It's not just that he's calling people to himself and he's gathered people together and, right, let's just wait and see what happens. I'm going to take a step back and just be a casual observer of what happens. No, Jesus is committed to his church. If you've been around church for any period of time, you may have heard me say that one of my heroes in scripture is a guy named Hosea. Hosea was a prophet and he had a message to bring to God's people. But rather than conveying God's message through his words, God asked him to convey it through his life and to kind of demonstrate it. And what God had called Hosea to do was uh, he called him to marry an, an adulterous woman. He told her to have children, to start a family with her. And, but Hosea, he would have known what that had meant. This is why he's one of my heroes, because of the obedience that he showed God and how obedient he was to be able to, to demonstrate what God was saying in spite of knowing what it was going to mean for him personally. And so he, he marries th this woman knowing, knowing that she would be unfaithful to him. And what God was doing was this demonstration of, of saying, look, this is what my people have been like. They've been unfaithful to me. They've gone after other gods. They've given their hearts to other gods. They've not been faithful to me. Time and time again, I've, I've called them back. And then it gets to a point where um, Hosea's wife, she, she's kind of been, been brought into, into, into slavery and, and into bondage. And what God calls Hosea to do is he calls her to go in spite of her unfaithfulness. And actually in the midst of her unfaithfulness, Hosea is called to go and redeem her. He buys her back with silver and with barley. It was costly. And he went and he brought her back. And God's saying through Hosea, he's saying, look, this is what my relationship with Israel is like. This is what my relationship with my people is like. Even though they've been unfaithful, they're mine and I love them. And I'm going to pursue them. And Hosea, really, he's a, a foreshadowing or a picture, ultimately, of what Jesus came to do. Such is God's love and commitment to his people. Such is God's commitment to his promise that on the cross, Jesus paid the price to redeem us from the life that we were once trapped in. To pay the price that we ourselves could not pay. And through his resurrection, we now enter into a relationship with God 
that is eternal. And just as Jesus was raised, so too will we to live forever with him. That's been coming through a lot, hasn't it, in the last series that we were looking at, working through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we too can have assurance that that's going to be the case for us. That we will live forever with him. The church. We are made up of those who have been spiritually unfaithful to God. Yet God takes us as we are. Such is his commitment. To gather in a people to himself. Now James is going to speak next week. Um, looking at what it is to be united in Christ. So he, he'll be able to expand on this much more. But in Jesus we're brought into his family. And the church is not, now it's not dependent on nationality. Or race. Or sex. Or class. Or background. Or education. Or qualification. Or achievement. All divisions have been broken down. And throughout history, Jesus himself has been building his church. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. I'm going to read the whole, that whole passage to you. This speaks about the relationship that Jesus has with his church. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The relationship between Jesus and his church is not an illustration of what human marriage is. It's actually the other way around. Human marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. That is the way that scripture speaks about Jesus' heart for his church. This is the picture that the Bible uses to speak of Jesus' heart here uh, for us in Faversham. The church is the bride of Christ. And their marriage is an eternal one. You see, through Paul's writing to the Ephesians, we see that Jesus, he's the saviour of the church. He loves her. He gave himself up for her in order to sanctify her, that is, to set her apart as holy. He frees her from guilt of sin. He purifies her in order to present her in splendour that she should be holy. He cherishes her. He brings her into maturity 
And in Jesus we see the epitome of self-sacrificial love. And all of those things that I've just said that Jesus has done for the church and Jesus continues to do for the church. He does it for us, but remember, he does that for you. If you're part of the church, he does that for you. He laid down his life for you. He sanctifies you. He sets you apart as holy. He cherishes you. His heart is to bring you into maturity. To be able to present you in splendour and in beauty. Jesus is completely involved. He is utterly and totally committed to his bride. I've had a number of hobbies through my life. I've been involved in a number of clubs, often to do with uh, sports. I tried to learn the trumpet once for a period. I've done all sorts of things. I've given, I've tried my hand at, at cooking and, and all sorts of things. But what you can find with, with hobbies or with interests, they can go through, through different seasons. I know I've done certain things that I've thoroughly enjoyed, but because of the season of life I was going into, I either didn't have the time or wasn't able to give the commitment, so I had to lay one thing down because something else was taken a priority at that point. Sometimes you have periods of unavailability where you can't get as involved in your club or in your hobby as you would like to. You might even go through periods of feeling less interested in it. It's something I'll come back to at a later date. I'll be able to pick it up. The reason I say this is because in Sam Albury's book, the thing that perhaps impacted me more than anything else that I read when he was talking about Jesus and his church, the thing that encouraged me and excited me the most is this. He says that the church is not Jesus' hobby. That is profound. The church is not Jesus' hobby. To Jesus, the church is not something that he fits around other priorities. To Jesus, the church is not something that takes a back seat to other more pressing responsibilities or issues that might arise. To Jesus, the church is not something that he gets involved in as and when he can find the time to do so. Jesus does not go through periods of having more or less interest in the church. The church is not Jesus' hobby. The church, she is his bride. He is utterly, totally, completely committed to her. Let me tell you this. Jesus could not care more for his church. He laid down his life for her. And throughout history, Jesus remains committed to her. Pick any period in history. Look at the church. Look at God's people. I assure you that he is just as committed at any point in history as he ever has been and as he ever will be. What was Lizzie singing? Yesterday, today and forever. That's true of the commitment. And the heart that Jesus has for his church. Church, we are the bride of Christ. We're not a hobby. We're not a pastime. We're not a sideline activity that Jesus dips in and out of from time to time. We're his bride. How committed is he to us? Look around the room. Look at the people here. Jesus could not be more committed to us. He could not be more committed to you. Doesn't that bring you safety security, peace and joy to know that that is true 
And just as the church is not Jesus' hobby, it was never his intention that it would be ours. The church isn't some club or support group that we get to choose to join. By faith, we are saved and we become a part of the people for whom Jesus died. Did you know that? If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are saved, you become a part of the people for whom he died. Remember, God's purpose and promise was to make a people for himself. That's what we've been called into. Church is not a club or a support group that we can choose to dip in or out of. No, it's much, much greater than that. As we journey through this series, I hope we see more of God's purposes for us as we co-labor with him as he continues to build his church. We've got a part to play. That's wonderful. God calls us to play a part in building his church. A couple of guys, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, they wrote a book called Total Church. And in that, they write this. They say that the church then is not something additional or optional. It is at the very heart of God's purposes. Jesus came to create a people who would model what it means to live under his rule. That it would be a glorious outpost of the kingdom of God and an embassy of heaven. This, the church, this is where the world can see what it means to be truly human. So we've thought about the church, God's purpose being conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history. And it's also to be perfected in a future eternity. His purpose is perfected in future eternity. In the last sermon in our Living Ready series, we were, we were thinking about Jesus' return. That's the point that Paul had got to in his letter as he was writing to the church in Thessalonica. We didn't really look outside of what Paul had written to the Thessalonians. I said that as a point. Actually, what Paul was doing was, was writing to, to bring comfort to those who were bereaved. But Paul was writing about what would happen when Jesus would come back for the church. And in Revelation, God reveals to John in a vision what will happen in those last days. In Revelation 19, I'd just like us to, to turn that. So this is what was revealed to, to John about what will happen when Jesus returns in the last days. Chapter 19, verse 6. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of all the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. The day of Jesus' return will be a wedding feast. It's going to be a celebration of Jesus and his bride. Remember as Paul was, uh, sorry, I'm obsessed with Paul because we've just been doing a series 
what, what John saw was that as the celebration between Jesus and his bride, who Jesus presents as pure and righteous, and we're united with him. His bride is united with the bridegroom. Sam Albury, in his book, Why Bother with Church? On these verses, he says, The church is the beautiful bride of the Lamb, of Jesus himself. And so the day of Jesus' return will be a wedding feast, and Christians are invited to it, not as guests, but as the bride. None of us will have to sneak into heaven through the back door. We'll be walking up the aisle. We're not bystanders or observers. Church, you need to get this. We're the bride. We are part of the bride of Christ. And when Jesus comes, there's going to be a marriage supper between Jesus and his church. Nothing about sneaking in there, is there? Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5, if you just turn over a page or two. John continues with what he saw. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's going to be a new creation. A putting right of everything that went wrong at the fall. As we see at that point, it's going to be Jesus and the church again being united as a bride to her husband. What John was writing, we see echoes really of what we read started off in Exodus 6. Because John writes, God will dwell with them and they will be his people. In Exodus, there was that promise. You will be my people and I will be your God. And then we jump right to the other end of the Bible, pretty much with some of the last words that are written. And we see that total and utter fulfillment of that promise. God will dwell with them and they will be his people. Perfected in eternity. His tears are wiped away. Death is done away with. No mourning, no crying, no more pain. Everything will be made new. This is where I wanted us to start this series, church. I am so excited about the church. I'll tell you what, it, preparing for this series has done me so much good. And I really hope, it is my heart's desire, that as we journey together, we'll all be caught up again. Sometimes... 
for some of us, it's going to be a real revelation of things we've not even noticed or thought of before. For others, it's a refreshing and a reminder. Don't know about you, I need to be reminded and refreshed of stuff often. I really hope that as we journey together through this series, we'll just be stirred and encouraged ever more to be a part of the church. Now this morning, we've taken a step back to look at the church, to see her in God's plans and purposes. And as we've done so, hopefully we've seen God's heart to have a people for himself, to be inviting us into a relationship with him. We've also seen the unwavering commitment of Jesus to the church, not as a hobby, but as a husband to his bride. And also we've seen a day that is coming where Jesus and his bride will be united forever in new creation. Jesus and his church, for his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity.